Welcome to a non-fiction story cast about people in Seattle who built churches and how they did it. I'm Cindy Safranoff, I'm the author, and this is Dedication, Building the Seattle Branches of Mary Baker Eddy's Church, a Centennial Story. Episode 8, Christian Science Chapel With the arrival of Alan and Maud Armstrong, the number of professional Christian science practitioners in Seattle immediately doubled from two to four. After the Armstrongs' first year in Seattle, the number of practitioners would double again to eight, and two years later, the number would nearly double again to 14. It was the start of an exponential growth pattern for practitioners that would continue throughout Armstrong's long teaching career in Seattle. But the impact of his arrival rippled out beyond the professional healing practice. Church membership growth also accelerated. Armstrong's work as a Christian science teacher involved interviewing prospective students, teaching a 12-day intensive course each year, holding an annual conference with all of his students for another day of instruction, plus patiently and persistently supporting students individually afterward. All this in addition to working with patients in his own healing practice. Besides his work as a teacher, he also served in other roles in the church. He served as first reader, with Maud as second reader, and on the executive board, which consequently elected him chair of the board and president of the church. He served on a committee to interview applicants for church membership. For a few years, Armstrong was put in the role of Committee on Publication for managing public relations and legal issues for Christian scientists throughout the state of Washington. But as an especially significant aspect of his leadership, Almost immediately upon his arrival in Seattle, Armstrong encouraged the church to undertake a building project. The church had made many moves through the 1890s, holding their services in a variety of rented rooms downtown. From Russell Hall, they moved a few blocks to the Seattle National Bank building at Yesler Way and 2nd Avenue, the same intersection where the Smith Tower would later be built and one block from the totem pole at Pioneer Square. The second-floor room at the bank building was the studio of music teacher John Post, one of their charter members. They moved back to Russell Hall, then back again to the National Bank building. For several months, they met in a Unitarian church. About every year or two, they moved. Sometimes they needed to move abruptly and had great difficulty finding a new location. The few halls that were available for rent at that time were either on the extreme outskirts of the city or surrounded by taverns and brothels and other such activities that members of other churches might hesitate about attending a service there. Besides the instability, uncertainty, and undesirability of rental spaces, the rents were high they decided they might as well buy their own building. Armstrong, on a committee with two others, began looking for a suitable building lot. In October 1900, 
the membership voted to move forward with plans to build Christian Science Hall. A lot on 6th Avenue between Columbia and Marion Streets was purchased in November. They built a wood frame structure with a carpeted auditorium large enough to seat 500 with folding chairs. It was a dark-colored, two-story building in bungalow style with a low-pitched, hipped roof. It looked like a large house, and the construction cost was similar to a large house. The lot cost $3,500, and the building and furnishings cost about another $6,400. The church follows the rules of science in construction and pays as it goes, Armstrong reported in the Christian Science Sentinel. The construction was paid for with cash on hand, and the mortgage on the lot was paid off just after the construction was completed. On Easter Sunday, April 7, 1901, they held the first service in what they sometimes referred to as their Christian Science Chapel. The church service was at 11 a.m., and the Sunday school session for children followed at noon. Weekly testimony meetings were at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. The chapel was just up the hill from their previous locations. Within two blocks was a Carnegie Library, the fire station, the new Rainier Club headquarters, and Central High School. Finally, they had a stable home base in a convenient location. One of the first fruits of the new church was the opening of their first regular downtown reading rooms in 1904. Their new reading room was on the sixth floor of the Marion Building, an office building on the corner of 2nd Avenue and Marion Street. It consisted of two connecting rooms, open daily from noon to 5 p.m. Mrs. Martha E. Cliff, a Christian science practitioner, was the volunteer librarian, a position she had held since 1898. Armstrong then moved his office from his home to the third floor of the Marion Building. Having centrally located reading rooms and active literature distribution would be an important factor in the growth of Christian science. From early on, the members of First Church looked far beyond their own congregation and their own neighborhood. They actively worked to spread Christian science throughout the region. They sent literature 1,500 miles north to the Klondike Gold Rush area in the Canadian Yukon Territory to support an informal group that held occasional meetings in halls and in cabins, in town and on the creeks, to which some reportedly traveled as far as 16 miles by dog sled to attend and ran a little reading room that was open all the time. Alaska and the Yukon was a focus of the Seattle church until local churches were established there. They also sponsored the first Christian science lecture in the state capital of Olympia, 60 miles south, and in the seaport town of Port Townsend on the Olympic Peninsula, a similar distance west. They expanded their outreach efforts with more lectures in Seattle. By 1902, They were filling Seattle's newest premier theater, the 2,200-seat Grand Opera House, to capacity, with standing room on both the main floor and balcony, and turning away hundreds for lack of room. 
although still portrayed in the newspapers in a tone of ridicule, sarcasm, and even dismay, Christian science was starting to gain respectability, in part because of the participation of prominent citizens like Judge William G. Ewing, who came to Seattle to lecture. Judge Ewing had been a close personal friend of President Lincoln, a law partner of Vice President Stevenson, and a U.S. District Attorney in Illinois. Ewing left his judicial career for the public practice of Christian science after being healed of asthma. He was introduced to the audience of nearly 3,000 people at the Grand Opera House by Unitarian minister Rev. W.D. Simmons, who said, Whether you accept this philosophy or whether you reject it, whether you believe it true in part or erroneous in part, you will all, to the last man of you, and woman too, agree with me in this, that Christian science has earned its right to be heard. It has earned its right to the candid and earnest attention of all sincere men. It is not possible for a rational man to dismiss this philosophy with a scornful wave of the hand, with a toss of the head, or a curl of the lip. For a faith that in a little more than a quarter of a century has won thousands of adherents in this materialistic age, and among those men of eminence and women of attainments, I say deserves the candid attention of every sincere man. Seattle had grown tremendously from a little-known town of about 40,000 in 1890 to a city of over 80,000 people in 1900, and it was on its way to more than doubling in population again in the next decade. The seating capacity of the newest theaters was also growing, and Christian science lectures continued to fill them. Around 3% of the entire city population was attending each one of these lectures. And the lectures were being held with increasing frequency at Seattle's largest venues, places like the Grand Opera House, the Moore Theater, the Hippodrome, and the Dreamland Dance Hall. Attendance at church services at the Christian Science Chapel was increasing too. Within five years of completing their 500-seat auditorium, First Church had outgrown it. But even as this very first edifice was being built, it was intended to be only temporary. They did not lay a cornerstone, nor ever hold a dedication service. We reverently believe that truth will soon enable us to build a structure worthy of the city and the cause we love, Armstrong wrote. It is the purpose of this church to go forward at once with such a work. The very idea of building a magnificent church was somewhat provocative. Around this time, Christian scientists all over the world were building larger and more elegant buildings than ever before. They were receiving some criticism for their efforts. After all, they were supposed to be dedicated to the fulfillment of Jesus' command. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. To some critics, building construction was at odds with this Christian healing mission. This issue was addressed in the Christian Science Sentinel. 
A friend recently said to us, It seems to me you would be more closely following Jesus, whom you profess to emulate, if you would go into the slums with your work, feeding the hungry and rescuing the perishing, instead of erecting magnificent and costly temples of worship throughout the country. We voice the sentiment of hundreds of thousands in saying that they are living evidences of Christian science fruitage from the slums of despondency, drunkenness, despair, hatred, malice, revenge, and vice. Multiplied millions are expended in the construction of universities, colleges, schools, and libraries. Yet the most important study which can engage the intention of man is that of Christian science. For the proper exposition of this science, so essential to the happiness of all, buildings are erected to meet its demands, which, completed without sacrifice, free from debt, beautiful and harmonious, are not yet commensurate with their supreme need as focal points for the instruction of mankind. These structures stand as evidences of the power of truth, as lighthouses pointing the way, from the rocks and shoals of material sense to safety, reality, infinite mind, as object lessons to the weary and heavy laden, who may come and be relieved of every burden, their development marks an epoch of freedom from the world's bondage to sin and sorrow. Regardless of any perceived conflict of mission, internally or externally, First Church of Christ Scientist Seattle, under Alan H. Armstrong's leadership, had successfully completed a building project, the Christian Science Chapel. But this was only the beginning. Thanks for listening to Dedication by me, Cindy Safranoff. All events and characters in this story are as true and accurate as the available sources. All opinions are mine. To support and learn more about this groundbreaking research project and read my writing, visit cindysafranoff.com.